What is grief if not love persevering? I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Spivey. And today we're going to start our review of the Marvel Cinematic Universe TV shows with WandaVision here on Genreless. Hey guys, and welcome to our third kind of sprints in third, fourth, fourth. I don't remember At our latest point, chunk of superheroes comics. <laughs> well, this part of the marathon. <laughs> uh, 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 but yes, we're gonna we're gonna do the uh, current and extremely prolific run of uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe tied television shows that have come out on. Disney Plus, and it's interesting because like the past few chunks have all been within the space of like a decade or two, and this is all like covering within two years. <laughs> a lot of stuff's come out in two years. And so, really, before we get into it, I got to say that this morning I was a little a little slower this morning, but listening to our theme song has, has galvanized me once again, and is a, a great choice by Eddie. Excellent, excellent. Uh, it, it did. It gets me pepped up too. It gets me excited to talk about things. It is the perfect balance of uh, exciting and uh, contemplative. I'm going to start off though by saying this is going to be a a comment for potentially most of the Marvel shows we're going to discuss. Is that I am a a Marvel over DC fan. I always have been, just from what I was mm-hmm. reading growing up, and I've enjoyed a lot of the MCU. The television shows, which was a new experiment for them, all have one slight minor hiccup, and I want to address that now at the top of the first show, and just let it be known that is my thought throughout all the shows that we do. They are not paced like TV shows. They're paced more like movies, and that has an odd feeling for most of the shows. It is less noticeable in WandaVision based on how WandaVision is made and what they're trying to accomplish. But yeah, I'll say hilariously, this shows. one is the exception. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it is not a big thing, but it's something I want to point out now. So I'm not bringing it up every episode. Who knows? I may, depending on how much coffee I've had that day. But stated, I, I am prepared to move on, sir. Right. I mean, yeah, it, 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 we've talked before about how modern streaming stuff is basically the very long movie syndrome. Um, and certainly the MCU is the most kind of extreme form of it. So, yeah, it's worth kind of mentioning it. Um, there are a couple exceptions. I mean, there's another one I can think of that's, that's kind of an exception. Uh, but certainly uh, this one is the, the least egregious, uh, but not exempt. The other thing that I want to mentioned at the top of this is um this is kind of a weird position for these shows to be in because it has all of the drawbacks of late arrowverse and none of the benefits uh in the sense that if you have never seen an mcu movie and you turn one division on you're going to have no clue what's going on right and that's going to be true of just about all of these shows. They all expect and rely on people to know the movies that are tying into it. And 
to a larger extent, although we're never going to go into these, uh, the later Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, most of them assume you've watched these shows too. Uh, so there, there's we're, we've reached a point in this collective media empire where there's an assumption of knowledge. And sometimes that's going to lead to a show's benefit. Sometimes it's going to be to its detriment. We'll see how it pans out for, for WandaVision. I have thoughts on that front. Um, but certainly going in, uh, we're also going to be kind of glossing over, what is it, 15, 10 years now of MCU history. Um, so uh, if it's extremely relevant, I'll, I'll tr we'll try to recap where we can, but understand that there's a lot of stuff interconnected stuff and a lot of references that, that you may not get if you haven't watched a lot of movies beforehand. Uh, just a, a random tidbit then to that point. Can I want to point out how amazing and lucky and probably happy Samuel L. Jackson is for granting Marvel permission <laughs> to use his likeness for Nick Fury. Just a random thing. Someone probably came up to, hey, we know that you like all this geek stuff. We'd love to make you into our Nick Fury for a comic and him going, fuck yeah, do it. And three, four years later, they come knocking. Hey, we're going to make this whole movie thing. Would you like to be Nick Fury in a movie for it? In a movie? Sure. 15 odd years later, still being Nick Fury because you agreed to have your likeness be in a comic. Amazing. Yes. Yes. And uh, at the time of recording this, uh, Secret Invasion has just started. So, um, I'm excited to see how that turns out. And maybe if timing works out, we'll talk about it. But uh, um, yeah, it, it, it's been interesting that this has gone on long enough now that not only are we looking at a new generation of characters, but also some people's major career has been these things. And so that's really exciting. he has done a lot of work, but I think he is now most well known for being Nick Fury, much how mm -hmm. Robert Downey Jr. is most well known now for being Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Instead so, of that look okay. from Ally McBeal. <laughs> wow, that's a deep, deep cut. I do what I can. I could go a little uh, bit more if you want, and we go for a, a weird science. If I remember right, he was one of the, the bullies in weird science. Wasn't he? He was like one of the mall aspects, uh, I think. Right, right. Okay, right, right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Wow. That that's up there with um uh Sherlock Holmes from uh, elementary originally being in sneakers. <laughs> or not sneakers, hackers. Yeah, I was about to say cuz I remember No, hackers, sorry, sorry. I was trying to play sneakers. I was like mm. No, sneakers and hackers get stuck in my Right. No, sneakers and hackers get bundled on my head as the kind of early 90s espionage movies, even though they're completely different, but for some reason they keep getting confused in my head. Anyway, I you're not here to talk. Aggression trade going if you want. I, I do not. So um, WandaVision, much like most of our uh, topics, does derive on some level from a comic book run, although extremely loosely. Uh, so I'll hit the two kind of high points of that. One is that... Um, uh, the first point where it kind of derives from is, is really where the larger WandaVision, Wanda, this could be hard to do, Wanda and Vision <laughs> uh, relationship comes from, uh, which is actually uh, the kind of 70s run of the Avengers. 
largely, I want to say, Steve Earhart. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. Um, I feel I feel terrible now. Uh, uh, anyway, it, it, the, Vision was introduced in the '70s in a way that was surprisingly close to his MCU origin, uh, and then um, he and Wanda became an item in in that comic. So that's kind of where the first thread of this uh, comes from. Uh, and I'll talk about the characters still in a second. Uh, the other thread is the Vision miniseries that came out about 10-ish years ago. Um, and that's the same only in the sense of it was Vision trying to figure out what it was to be human. And so he created an entire family and moved to suburbia and tried to live in suburbia. And that goes badly. Uh, so... It, it's not really you basically kind of take those two concepts and a very high level jam them together and you get this show combined with a whole lot of sitcom references uh so it, it, it's it's influ inspired by but not really influenced by to the level of some of the other stuff we've covered uh touch of no more mutants right yes yeah right you're right there is a, a bit of house of m too thank you that was the other one i was trying to think of um where one the rewrites reality um, uh, so, so uh, Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch, um, in the comics, uh, her how she has hex based magic powers, and hex being kind of luck powers, although how that is defined varies from she could do whatever she wants to she has generic magic powers to a brief point where she had chaos magic, and that was weird. It was the 90s, we don't talk about it much. Um, in the MCU, her magic is kind of more generically just magic blaster power stuff. Um, this show kind of rewrites that pretty heavily, um, but the hex thing kind of gets worked back in, in a, a more of a nod to her powers, but otherwise her powers are just kind of magic in base, although this show and then subsequent shows explain the nature of her magic a bit better. Meh. Uh, Vision is in the comics a synthesoid, which is different from a robot, I guess. Uh, he has a, a vibranium-based body, uh, and his mind is replaced by uh, the consciousness of Wonder Man, who was an Avenger who died and originally was created not as an Avenger, but as a plot by um, uh, the, a, a rival group. Um, oh, I'm my, my brain's just not working today. I don't know why. Um, but uh, he, Vision's mind was based off of a dead character in the MCU. Is that actually based off of an, the Jarvis AI that Tony Stark made in Iron Man 1 and is voiced, played by the same actor who voiced Jarvis originally. <sighs> so are you, are you saying in the comic books, Tony Stark built Vision? In the comic books, well, no. In the comic books, technically speaking, um, uh, Pym built Vision because he built Ultron, who built Vision. In the MCU, Tony Stark is the, the reason why everything bad has happened. Uh, in Marvel Comics, it's sometimes Tony Stark, but mostly Hank Pym. Um, Hank Pym, who, jackass. Who is Wanda's dad? It, it seems like that person should be important, oh too. Oh, my God. Is, is Wanda an Inhuman? Are we doing I have this? so many questions, Eddie. Are, so many questions. Are we doing this? And, and, 
And what what other groups have Wanda bitted? I, I need to know, Eddie. I can't talk about WandaVision unless I know who Wanda and Vision are. I will say that Wanda's our brother Pietro, and that is relevant to what we're going to watch today. Um, uh, and Pietro uh, died in Age of Ultron prior to this. Uh, but he had a much longer life in the Marvel comics as Quicksilver. Uh, they were villains. Both of them were villains in the X-Men, uh, part of the uh, uh, Magneto's Evil Mutants. Uh, then they joined the Avengers as good guys. Then they went back to being bad guys for a while. They've been in and out of the X-Men at various points in time. At one point in time, Pietro was married to Crystal, who was an inhuman. They had a child named Luna. Um, then, then Pietro decided to uh, sleep around on Crystal. No, he got no. Crystal tried to sleep around on uh, Pietro, who then he got mad and left the Inhumans uh, because he's a jerk. Then he joins the detective agency. And I'm blanking on the name of it. X Factor. Uh, and then he went back to the Avengers, and it's a whole thing. Um, Pietro and Wanda are complicated. Uh, they are. Their parents are quantum. Uh, they are sometimes Magneto's children, sometimes not, depending on if they're observed directly by writers or not. Uh, at one point in time, Pietro was objectively the child of the Wizard, which is just the best superhero name ever. Uh, and Who's the Wizard, Eddie? I don't know who it's, he is. It's, the Wizard is a speedster with a yellow costume from the 1950s. Uh, whose power was super speed, and that was it. <laughs> and he was called the Wizard. And he, the Wizard actually is in the MCU, believe it or not. He was in Jessica he's, Jones he's, for Ripper, right? Yes, yes. And he died, which is... Very quickly. Absolutely appropriate. Very, very quickly. Uh, all right, so that that's a lot about Quicksilver, but I want to know about Wanda. Like... It does. No, no, no. You said like she has it. probability magic at the start. What's probability magic? Do, do other characters have probability magic? Is Wanda an inhuman? Is she a mutant? What, I feel like you don't really a- want to know. You just, you just, you're just trying to see how far my knowledge goes until I, yeah, I hit a wall. Is really what this is. I think this is just an endurance test of my Marvel knowledge. Because at this rate, you're going to force me to talk about the time where Doctor Strange briefly became young and hot because he was possessed by chaos magic. That's also probability magic, primarily because he was siphoning it off of Wanda because she was going insane. And as a part of her insanity, believed that she was briefly her own daughter. Um, So I, I just don't think you really want to get to the edges of this question because it gets real weird real fast. I don't, but I wanted to, to, wanted you to go with your vast knowledge of it to highlight how complicated these characters are. And that doesn't even right. bring in the right. high evolutionary, Mount Wondegar, the the oh, joke they make about Bova. Yeah. Yes. Or Bova, who also becomes Doctor Strange apprentice at one point? Yeah. No, no, that was a different Minotaur. Yes, we're talking about Minotaur. I, I like his Minotaur, his sidekick. Um, or that doesn't go into, man, what else was there? That doesn't go into how your your superhero Hawkeye had a mad crush on Wanda so much that he hates the Vision, and they have sort of school, high school hijinks between the two of them. And then you bring in I Wonder think, Man who has a thing for Wanda. 
And they have high school. I think you'll find, Chris Spivey, that it was not Hawkeye that had a crush on Wanda. It was Giant Man. Yes, they were both Clint Barton, but Clint Barton was not Hawkeye at that point in time. He was Giant Man at that point in time, my friends. True. That was because that happened. He didn't wear a shirt. (laughs) True. He didn't wear a shirt. He wore like these these suspenders over open chest. I personally, superpowers or not, think that suspenders getting in your hair would hurt when you grow and shrink, but. I do not have pin particles. Pin particles take care of so many things. Uh, what we're trying to say is that uh, much like this show, this is a nexus of a weird part of the Marvel universe. And there's really two ways to, to deal with this, which is you kind of just steer away from the magic user and robot having a sexual relationship thing, or you go directly into how weird that is and this show goes with option b it's like this is just extremely odd corner of the marvel universe and they literally just have a, a chunk of the marvel universe they, they cordon off to have this show in which is about the only way they can really handle this nonsense at this point i i am gonna i'm gonna ask you about three other characters that i could that i can let this stick go you ready <laughs> right Agatha Harkness because she's she's relevant. Uh, the twins because you know they're relevant. And wait for it, the one that's going to be last. You know, is going to pull them out. Master Pandemonium because you can't have the twins without Master Pandemonium because they change. Okay, I, I, to Master Pandemonium. Remember the the arms? How the twins are his arms? Uh, oh, a, that's right. I forgot a, about. They were literally West his Coast arms. Yes. 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 Um, I've thrown that's all I know a, about a retcon trap, by the way, for our listeners that are curious what I've just done. Cause it's retcon on top of retcon on top of retcon in a right. Time so, um, in reverse order, uh, master pandemonium is nonsense. And I don't even want to talk about that. Uh, the twins, <laughs> which are actually two characters and how dare you try to combine them as one character, um, are surprisingly, this is a relatively comics accurate origin for them. In fact, they were just, made up out of thin air by Wanda when she was had gone insane uh, in House of M. Uh, they do grow up to be, I was going to say two interesting characters, but they grow up to one interesting character and one forgotten character. Uh, uh, Billy becomes Pagan, uh, who dates Hulkling, and they are the mm-hmm. cutest couple in the Marvel Universe. I will not take any arguments on this point. Um, and his brother becomes knockoff Quicksilver, but I forget speed. I want to say I forget what his code name is. Anyway, no one remembers him. No one likes him. Uh, Billy is where it's at. Uh, and then uh, Agatha Harkness. Um, so yeah. because of the episodes we chose, um, the big reveal that Agatha Harkness is also which is is something we're going to talk about. And oh boy, we're going to talk about that. Um, but Agatha Harkness started as. Franklin Richards' babysitter in the Fantastic Four in the 70s. Uh, and uh, she came back from literally Salem, Massachusetts, where she was murdered as a witch, came back to life, became Franklin Richards' babysitter, turned out to have a son who was literally the son of Satan. Uh, then she became Wanda's mentor in the Avengers because reasons. Uh, and then after that, she became a villain briefly. Then she became uh, an avatar of eternity for a while. 
and then came back as a witch. And I don't know what she's doing these days, honestly. I actually don't know from Agatha. She probably has been in because of the WandaVision TV show, but I don't know where her modern day stuff is. But in the 70s, she was everywhere and she was – no, she was part of the Defenders for a minute too, I think. Anything that was on, she was there for a while. And right. when, when we're describing Agatha, we want you to think she is basically in comic books Aunt May model for the character who's out there doing yes. all this dating and kicking ass. Yes, but I, I will always remember her as a Fantastic Four supporting character because it I I always love the fact that Reed Richards like Magic doesn't exist. Now I'll put my child in with the witch who, whose cat turns into a human. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> what? What is happening? Well, it's because Reed Richards uh, is an asshole. Everyone knows that. Reed Richards is an asshole. At some point in time, we stopped with Fantastic Four because I have so many opinions. I love Fantastic Four, but I have so many opinions. Well, if they ever cast uh, a movie, maybe but anyway, well. yeah, seriously. Uh, anyway, um, all this digression aside, I do want to talk briefly about kind of. Uh, the weird start because one vision was not meant to be the beginning of the Disney plus MCU series. That was actually supposed to be winter soldier. Um, this I'd was put forth prime. I'm sorry. Yes. Falcon and winter soldier. Um, uh, and this comes famous primarily because it was right after coronavirus. And this was the show they could put together with the least amount of reshoots. So it was purely a logistic decision. Uh, they could put the show out first. They needed to get a show out because Disney Plus had just launched a few months prior. So this is like, this was the, the flagship show. One of the, 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 I think the Mandalorian came out after this, I want to say. I feel like this was the first big original show that Disney Plus had. I could be completely wrong about that. I think it was. Um, but uh, if you could take your mind back to the, the ancient days of two years ago, um, this show was a sensation online. I mean, it was a bunch of pandemic starved people looking for new entertainment. And this show hit really hard, even with people who weren't necessarily MCU watchers. Uh, and for a lot of reasons, and I'll go into that. It's interesting going back two years, because I remember really loving the show when it came out and then feeling kind of meh towards the end. Watching it again, I realize there's a lot of reasons why it doesn't quite hold up as strongly. We talked before with the boys about how it's more of a show of the moment than the show is going to last forever. I think the show is going to do better, but um, once you know kind of the big twists of what's happening, it does feel like the, the show doesn't gain as much on rewatches. But there's still this really, a from a technical level, from how the show is put together, there's some amazing stuff going on here that has almost nothing to do with superheroes. So there's going to be kind of two threads, I think, for this conversation, which is the as a superhero show and as a television show. And I think those two are not going to line up as much as we have in other conversations. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to point out that it was a great hit for non-superhero fans when it first aired. Because some mm -hmm. of the immediate traffic when the show aired from people that were MCU fans or that it's too slow. I don't like whatever this is. Where is like my big superhero fight? My bang bangs. Why is it mm -hmm. in black and white? And it received a lot of hate. So much so that Disney had to have um, both. Wow, I forgot her name now. Um, well, Wanda envisioned the act, the pair go out and do almost a publicity tour saying, just wait till after episode three. It'll make sense. Please keep watching the show. Please don't stop watching yep. the show. 
stop giving us hate. They had to do that to offset all of that. So yep. it is, Yeah. it may be loved by some, but it had a very large hate that was also associated with it that is louder because when people scream and shout, they hate things. More people jump on board to hate on something. Right, and there's a weird intersection of, you're right, the, the MCU faithful not liking it and warming up to it, and the casual audience really liking it and then slowly losing interest. Um, so there's a, and so I kind of picked these episodes partially because there are three kind of meme moments when talking about the show, and it hits all of those, but also it does kind of go from the, this is primarily a weird experimental show that also happens to all superheroes all the way to this is primarily a superhero show now. Um, so we're going to see the evolution with these three stop points a bit. I uh, will want to start by, I love the premise and the start of this show as someone that has mm -hmm. loved the television medium. It was spot on. Mm -hmm. I was giddy watching it even with the incredibly ludicrously short episodes that it was and yes. doing a little bit of reading and research on it when it first aired to find out that it was either one of the writers or one of the head people on it was the young, I want to say like the youngest son from the show, just the 10 of us who grew up on tele grew up in sitcom shows was mm. one of the driving forces behind all this is what's why they could hit all those sitcom beats so well for the sitcoms. And it felt like you were, in that time period and it was immaculately done very well done yeah and also um the actor who plays uh wanda um very famously uh, is the sister of the olsen twins who obviously uh grew up on the sitcoms also she also grew up around sitcoms uh you know she wasn't on them as often uh so i mean this is uh and uh, um bentney uh who plays vision uh had a lot of stage comedy uh, experience. So these are all people who are extremely comfortable with comedy and sitcoms and art form specifically. And so on one level, this is a fantastic look at how the sitcom art form has evolved over time, uh, both artistically and uh, uh, from a design perspective and from writing perspective. So it's has ups and downs in that front, but yeah, from a technical, I, I can't say enough about it as a lens and a love letter to sitcoms as an art form. It's a television as an art form, uh, it's, which kind of almost suffers by its need to be a Marvel series. And I've but, always liked Elizabeth Olsen, but this gave mm -hmm. me an unbelievable amount of respect for Elizabeth Olsen's ability in the craft from seeing her portray all these different um, actresses I've watched in all these other sitcoms and she's hitting it like spot on per decade. Like, yep. Spectacular. And Paul Bettany, I cannot say enough about how amazing he is to like hold up the rest of the show while she's sort of doing the amazing work and dancing around him. It would not work without these two together doing it. Absolutely. Completely agree. And it set an extremely high bar for a lot of the MCU shows to follow in a lot of ways. Um, I feel like Falcon and Winter Soldier suffered critically or, or sorry, culturally. It would have been so much better if the original order had been done because I think a lot of people had expectations of Falcon and Winter Soldier that Falcon and Winter Soldier was never intended to ha have to bear. Uh, but I, we'll get to that when we get there. Total agreement. And I think like you were saying, all the shows suffered because of it, but at the yeah. same time, I think WandaVision suffered 
with the MU fans because it was the original MCU fans because it was out of order. If they'd seen what Falcon and Winter Soldier had done first, that would have given them something to come off of the movie, the superhero movies on and would have given them a better frame for how it would be on television. And then I think they would have gotten all the new crowd and they would have had most of the old school diehards at the same time if this had been the second show. And then both of them would have done better and been more elevated. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Um, if you're cool, I'll, I'll dive into episode one. I, I guess I can stop heaping praise on the show and then get started. Yeah. Yeah. We're half an hour in. We should probably talk about the actual show now. Uh, episode one filmed in front of a live studio audience. New couple Wanda Maximoff and Vision move into the town of Westview in a black and white 1950s setting. They attempt to blend in despite Vision being an android and Maximoff having telekinesis and reality warping abilities. One day they notice a heart drawn on their calendar but cannot remember what the occasion is. While Vision goes to his job at Computational Services Incorporated, Maximoff deny, decides that the heart represents their anniversary. Their neighbor Agnes introduces herself to Maximoff and helps her prepare to celebrate that night. Vision amazes his co-workers with his speed, but is unsure what his company actually does. He is reminded that the heart represents plans for him and Maximoff to host his boss, Mr. Hart, and his wife for dinner. Maximoff and Vision struggle to hide their abilities while making a last-minute dinner. While interrogating Maximoff and Vision, Mr. Hart chokes on his food, and Vision uses his abilities to save him. All this takes place in the fictional sitcom WandaVision, which someone is watching on a television screen. And, uh, so... First, I want to start with the fact that uh, the, the conceit, which we're going to kind of skip over a large chunk of, uh, for, for sadly, is that each episode is a decade of sitcom. And it's very loosely based on actual existing sitcoms of the time. Uh, it, it's kind of threading a line bet uh, between homage and satire. Um, I firmly believe strongly on the homage side. So this is uh, Dick Van Dyke show meets Bewitched. Uh, Vision playing Dick Van Dyke side of the uh, prestige and Wanda obviously playing the bewitched side of the prestige. Uh, before I go into the breakdown, the technical components of this are fascinating. This is one of those where I, I didn't do research, but I had previously done research because I was really interested. Um, this was done uh, in a three-camera model. And those of you who don't know, uh, three-camera shows are where they have three fixed cameras all pointing towards the stage, and they cut between them rather than the one-camera model of like a movie where they move the camera around to get each shot as they need it. Uh, the sets were built. They actually got a studio audience in, and they did this start to finish like a play, like just like the shows done in the 50s. Better... They actually reached out to Dick Van Dyke and he consulted on this episode so they can get it as, as accurate as possible. So at the very beginning, when uh, Vision stumbles over the, the foot cushion uh, as he comes in, that was an homage specifically to Van Dyke as a thank you for his help on the episode. They actually worked that in as a thank you for him specifically. Um, all of these special effects were physical. They all used the technology that was available in the 1950s to make those visual special effects, with a couple of exceptions. We'll get to those. Um, but like all the magical effects that Wanda's doing were things that could have been done on the set of Bewitched at the time. And again, were done in front of a live audience. Uh, so from a purely production standpoint, this is fantastic. Oh, and a brand new theme song is written for this episode. Each episode of this has a custom theme song that is written in the style of the sitcoms of the time 
so this is a masterclass in overthinking, and I love it. <laughs> I said, so I. I, I'm staggered. I was staggered when I first saw this. I also think I cannot say with certainty now because I did when it first came out, I looked at this, but I want to say that the lead writers for all of the shows were, were women. I, I cannot speak now with hundred percent certainty, but I think so, which I do know it, at least a large proportion of them were women. Women were very prominent in the production of this. Yes. Which I think is, this I will give Marvel absolute kudos for, for doing, because Wanda has a very long and incredibly problematic history that has been primarily yes. written by white dudes. And to have women come in to try to tell the, a story of this character to, I don't want to say make it right, but to give someone with a more lived experience to create a character that people can, to some extent, look up to, but also give depth and meaning to that has been severely right. lacking in all of Wanda's stories. Having grown up reading Marvel comics, most of Wanda's stories aren't about Wanda. They're right. about someone else. And Wanda is sort of the MacGuffin for that story. Yeah. Even house M, which you mentioned ultimately a bond as a plot device. And it is um, frustrating to read even then, but I was happy to see this right now. Yes. Um, and, um, for a little bit of context, uh, people coming in who were MCU faithful, and one of the reasons why I got, like you pointed out, a lot of derision, is that Vision is dead by this point. Um, he was killed in a previous movie, and this show makes zero explanation as to why that is, but there are references here if you know how to look for them. Um, for example, the entire uh, plot hook for this episode is that Wanda Vision don't actually know how they got here. Um, they have amnesia. They don't remember getting married. They don't, and, and and there's some brilliant gags in here about how they don't know what their uh, favorite song is, what their wedding day was, uh, where they came from, and very much in a style. Uh, and this is again where another homage, but like the uh, scene where they're trying to figure out how they relate to each other and what's going on is very I love Lucy style banter. Um, uh, in the sense of misunderstanding and trying to use fast-paced uh, comedic beats to get across characterizations. I mean, I well, Lucy did very, very well. Um, so what's happening in this episode is it's fascinating because like, it is just a 30-minute off-the-rack 50s sitcom but it's simultaneously telling you something very weird and creepy is happening in this in this context of, of Westview. Uh, and it, even to the point where, where there's a commercial that happens in the middle of it from for Stark Industries uh, that is starts off like it's going to be very problematic about the role of women in the in the um, in the kitchen, and then it, it just becomes there's a half second of it being extremely creepy. And then it just goes back to being the normal commercial and you realize, okay, something is wrong. It's little notes to the audience that something's wrong. There's another one coming in a minute, but I want to just mention that the frame of what's happening here in this episode. And it's even at the start, there's more for people that want to know more about vision, how Wanda specifically references visions, indestructible head. They even like sort of mm -hmm. touch where originally at the mind stone. So all those clues are there. If you're on board for the show. 
and you don't, and it's not going to tell you directly, which I love because you're building a mystery and that's what this yep. entire show is. And once you know the actual answer to the mystery, it loses something. Right. Um, but I do want, I do want to mention to your point, um, not only does it actually, um, do a good job of recapping stuff, but also recaps their powers in the introductory song, <laughs> right? Like in, in the opening credits, you get that Wanda's a magician, that uh, uh, Vision is an android. He can phase through things. He's also indestructible. All that's covered before the actual dialogue of the episode starts. So it's extremely efficient as well, which again, I just really appreciate. Um, so you kind of talked about the I Love Lucy banter of... Their central mystery is central around a more domestic mystery of why is his heart drawn on the calendar? What does that mean? And then them going off their separate uh, responsibilities and coming to two different conclusions. Um, uh, we introduce Agatha, which is not super relevant now, just that she's there. So we'll kind of skip over that for the moment. But, I, but I this want to talk is the more about... ultimate trope, though. This is in... This is everything for like these kind of shows. You have your nosy neighbor who's always snooping. This is the epitome of oh, fair, who we fair. have the neighbor who's snooping in who's constantly trying to see if sam using powers and going oh my gosh i just saw her do this and then something happens to disprove what she believes so that builds in a character like right efficient unbelievably efficient that is going to be here through all the episodes and it gives her a reason to be snooping which mm -hmm. throws off some of the we're already know that she's going to be the witch from other episodes we've watched yeah. but sort of throws suspicion off her that that is her character type that she's supposed to represent so put in there is like the third character that you see. Perfect. That, that, that is. That, that's a good point. But the, uh, but going to uh, taking away from the plot for a second and going to the, this show as the analysis, how sitcoms work. What's fascinating is that Agatha fills that same role throughout all of this. So what, one thing that's happening throughout, again, the episodes that we skip over is that the layout of the house stays the same, but the, the way it looks changes by the, the the decade it's in um so this house was a 50s house but like the couch is in the same place the table's in the same place the kitchen's in the same place and then as the house evolves everything is re relationally the same even though it changes to look like a episode of that particular genre uh, decade and agatha's role is the same and it shows that how sitcoms even as they heavily evolve also have certain conceits that remain so how these shows really set a particular stamp that in some ways sitcoms have never fully evolved away from completely um the idea that there is a neighbor who comes in to insert themselves into these hijinks is something that it, it goes all the way up to modern sitcoms so yeah uh, uh it, it shows how these things are how they change rapidly but also how some things are so uh, uh, simple and, and connected and uh, structurally similar throughout all of these decades that we're going to go through. And I know that we've sort of, to go back to Jupiter's legacy, we complained about Jupiter's mm -hmm. legacy is trying to ride on the coattails of the Justice League. This mm -hmm. is sort of a parallel to that, but it's not riding on the coattails of a sitcom. It is highlighting what a sitcom does and then elevating it to fit their own story. Like those are two... They, tr they did the same thing, but one of them did it well, and the other one didn't do it as well. And like this is a perfect right. example of those parallel to each other. And that's one of the reasons I, I have nothing but compliments for this first episode. Like, hands right. down. Right. Um, 
uh, in, in the North, you had another digression, but it's worth kind of breaking down is the difference between uh, homage and pastiche. Uh, homage is what Jupiter's Legacy is trying to do, which is that we're referencing something that came before uh, as part of our ongoing storytelling. Um, pastiche is something that is done in the style of the thing that it is referencing. So, for example, uh, Elementary, uh, the modern day Sherlock Holmes story, is an homage to Sherlock Holmes. Uh, the 1980s show uh, with Jeremy Brett is a pastiche of Sherlock Holmes because it's done as, as much in the style of the original story as it possibly could do being a television show. Um, and this is a pastiche. This is meant to be as accurate to these as possible. And, and to be blunt, they did the work that Jupiter's Legacy didn't. Um, they, they, yes, they didn't necessarily need to go through getting an audience in and whatnot and all that stuff, but they did because they they knew that even if that stuff was invisible on the screen, viewers can tell. They can sniff authenticity, and they made it as authentic as possible. And I am so – this is one of the things that I knew when I put this piece together. Yes, we've always done the first episode, but I absolutely make sure we watch this one because it is just a fantastic piece of television, frankly. But to your authenticity point, the viewers know because of how the actors are responding. The actors respond differently in front of an audience than how they would without yes. an audience. Mm -hmm. And doing it live like that also means that they can't go back and do as much editing how they do with other productions. And you can tell that. And it ah, goes to showing what great actors you have to represent these characters. Like great writing, great acting makes something that is superlative. Right. Um, so uh, we have the, the scene where Vision goes into his job um, and Vision's we establish that Vision's going to have kind of the initial, he's going to be the investigator role in our ongoing surreal mystery. Um, and so he's like, he's asking questions like, what does, what does, what do we actually do here? What is our, what is our job? Uh, and doesn't get a satisfactory sort of a, answer. A nod to, I don't know if you know Blondie, the TV mm -hmm. series of the comic strip and sort of a, a nod to Blondie and Dagwood because Dagwood worked somewhere where he would do a lot of computations. And he, I think he would, he was supposedly amazing at oh. it, but he'd also make uh, robot S sounds when he did it. I did not know that. That's such a really cool reference. Because Bonnie was basically a comic strip sitcom anyway, so. And they had they had a TV series for a while. I think they were more sort of like TV movies, if I remember right. Mm, okay. I, oh, I didn't know that. I watched them growing up as a kid. Like I, I watched a lot of TV, hence <laughs> my love of television, ranging from the, the dawn of television all the way up to whatever was current then. And uh, I'll give another shout out to Twin Peaks because I like Twin Peaks. Good. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I, was, I, was, I actually was trying to avoid talking about it, but I mean, I had Twin Peaks in my head and I'm watching this because Twin Peaks is also a show that's ultimately about television. Um, but they, as opposed to them going through all sorts of decades of a genre, they stuck to one very slice of the genre and stuck with it, which was the soap opera. We talked about that. And they slowly subverted it. This is one where the fast-paced changes are itself part of the surreal mystery. So it's it, there's there's a lot of connectivity here to Twin Peaks, frankly. And if we had if we didn't know we were doing this at some point in time, I could have seen I had in my head an argument of making one vision part of that surreal TV view because there's a lot of connective tissue there. I would almost um, say, though, that WandaVision is a love of television compared to Twin Peaks. There's a warning about television. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so um, they do – ultimately, this leads to the dinner scene, which is kind of the big comedy farce moment. 
Um, and this is the definitely the where the Dick Van Dyke and uh, Bewitched influence kind of really hits uh, because we have lots of the them trying to cover for each other as they're muddling their way through this because they they have started the scene with two different expectations and are quickly trying to uh, what appears to be uh, improv their way through the dinner, even though obviously it's highly scripted. Um, and so, uh, but, but again, it's so clever. Like they introduced the fact that Wanda Sokovian just seamlessly into the scene as a joke. Uh, because, oh, she's from Europe. And so that becomes kind of the running gag of like all the weird stuff is because they're European. Um, when in fact, no, they're, a witch and a robot stuck in a dimensional portal. <laughs> and Betty Jo Rapp and I forgot his name, the the boss and his wife were also spot on for characters yes. of the time when they came in because the boss would fit like the husband model of the 50 shows that you watched and so did the wife. And seeing that counterbalance going riff back and forth was also nice to see. It was also great that they didn't put her in the 70s version of the show because that would have been too much on the head for people who don't know she was a mom in that 70s show yeah. and that would have been like an over-the-top like nail in the coffin perfect to be in the 50s right right exactly um uh and so there's lots of fantastic eggs and, and i won't go through them all but just recognize that it's genuinely good comedy right like this could have been okay comedy and still got the point across but this is just fantastically good. It, it's it's good verbal gags. It's good physical gags. It's good slapstick, and and it just it's it's breakneck. It's so fast paced, which again very evocative at the time because they had to get through those gags pretty fast. Um, and then there's a moment again. It's visually amazing um, where Mister Hurt's choking, and um, uh, the wife she's like you know stop it stop it stop it, and she starts to get a little too long. Um, and that's when the structure breaks down. Uh, what's fascinating is that if if you pay attention, the camera, the editing goes from the three camera things to the one camera style we're used to with the MCU. It's still in black and white. Uh, there's a little splash of color briefly in the scene. Uh, but generally speaking, it's consistently black and white. But how the camera acts is now different. We're now getting a zoom in on the characters' faces. Then we get a, a close look at Hart on the ground because he's at an angle where in the normal three-camera shot, we wouldn't be able to see him. Uh, so all the stuff's happening here is actually hidden from the diegetic audience of the show. The studio audience could not have seen what Vision did where he, he actually uh, uh, – um, dislocates or not dislocates, um, uh, makes his hands uh, penetrable so he can go inside there and, uh, and actually pull the food out. Uh, so the audience who was in the studio could not have seen that moment. It's so subtle and so amazing. And it's such a great way of using the visual language of the television show and breaking that specifically to get a moment across. And it's, it's, I saw it at the time when I first watched it. I'm like, Oh, they, they changed the camera angle. Um, I'm like, but I'm a TV nerd, so probably only I noticed that. Uh, uh, and so, but like watching it again, it's like it, it's a little more choreographed, not choreographed, uh, telegraphed than I think I originally imagined it to be. But it's still a fantastic moment, right? It, it, it's it's the language of the show is breaking down, and we find out later that that's it's literally happening because Wanda has become concerned, and her magic is starting to to break slightly, and that's like ongoing thread. So. Episode one, 
some of the stuff we see all the way through the show starts getting established and it's so efficient and so subtle and it's uh i just can't say enough about this particular episode in parallel with that for people that are not uh tv nerds and wouldn't have noticed a camera change is that they show you the wife constantly saying stop it in more and more mm-hmm. high pitched but her she's not looking at her husband she's looking at wanda the whole time yeah. telling her stop it and then you right. also have the fact that no one moves vision looks concerned and he looks at wanda but none of them move until wanda gives him direction to do so so yeah. that goes back and reinforces that so it's right there on the screen for you to see, even if you don't notice the amazing camera work that's transpiring around them. So it's mm-hmm. on multi-layered approach to it, which conveys the scariness and creepiness of that moment. And that Wanda is in charge still of everything going on without us telling you Wanda's in charge. Yep. Yeah. I didn't get that. Could you try? <laughs> I could repeat that for my uh, electronic assistant that picked up on some of that. No, that's fine. That's fine. Leave it in there. It's great. Um, that, that, that's just vision responding to your your needs. <laughs> uh, uh, and then, but then we kind of you know we, we do the final jokes. Um, then they have a, a sweet moment where they're like you know, uh, what what's our dance? It's the dance they made up. What's the song? It's the song that Vision was complaining about before. And so all the questions they had, they now find answers for. Um, and it's and they, they wrap it up, and it's a beautiful moment. And then we see that it's the credits come up, and they're fictional credits. Uh, and then it pull out and we see that someone's watching on the television screen. And part of me is annoyed by that last 10 seconds of this episode because there's a part of me that wants it to not be necessary. It's the, I feel like the show has done enough, but I recognize that casual viewers may need something a little more explicit to say, oh, by the way, something weird's happening here. Mm-hmm. I was, I was going to say that if you hadn't added that last part. Yeah. I was like, part of me is mad about it, but I recognize why it's there. And I'm not, not mad as in like, oh, this whole episode's ruined. More like, I, I wish there could have more confidence on that front, but I know what this show's trying to do. And so I know why it needs to be there. So I'm, I, I, I accept it. I accept this. And frankly, it's so short um, that it, it does a good job of leaving you with what, we call fridge moments, which is, again, this was, this was dropped week to week. It was not dropped all at once. Um, and so people go there and go, what was that about? And they spend a week talking about it, uh, which is what you want for this kind of show. You want people to be excited and buzzing about it. If memory serves, the first two episodes were dropped at the same time. And oh, originally, you're right, you're right. it was supposed to have been the first three episodes, but which then would have made a vast difference for the online discussions, but they couldn't drop the, the third one because they needed that extra time for post-production work. Cause they were doing all this still during COVID. So oh. they needed that extra week. So that's why I only got those two episodes and then the third one and then the fourth one. So right. otherwise it would have been an hour and a half, which I think would have been superlative and made everything better. They would have gotten less hate from the MCU fans. Cause there had been more to see and more to digest. The shortness of the episodes and without that third cliffhanger ending hurt some of the reception. Right. And and I think this is kind of the the tension of the show, which is both good and bad, is that when you approach it as a surreal mystery, it's hurt by having that much information front loaded, right? When you're approaching it as a superhero show, it's hurt by not having enough information front loaded. Um, because people need to go, where's my superhero show in this? And this first episode gives you none of that 
it, it, it manifestly refuses to give you the thing you, you're here to watch the show for. Um, I love that, but also I recognize that I, I saw that the first episode going, okay, this is training me for the show I'm kind of going to watch here. Um, but I, I, yeah, that's why I was initially surprised by the hate, but you're right. It, it, it's, you expect to sit down and watch a Star Wars show and suddenly it's a Western. It takes you a minute to go, what is this show doing? Oh, okay. It, it, it's, at, it's still Star Wars. I get it now. Um, the same thing's happening here. I'm, that's a reference to the Mandalorian if you didn't get it. I was um, going to add that in if you hadn't because <laughs> the Mandalorian is a great Star Wars show. It is, but same thing. First couple episodes, people were like, why is there a tiny Yoda? What's Mandalorian? They take his helmet off. What's all this Western crap? Blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, so, but what, going back, um, I'm, there's part of me like, I, I wanted to cover some of the stuff in the middle, but there was all variations on the same theme, so I didn't need to, but just watching this one episode, kind of, and I just, I watched this one day, um, I was like, oh, this is, this is really good. This is really good. I, I, I kind of wish you would have the second one just because I like the magic deck that the two of them do. Yes. But that, that is, that is fine. And when, for my initial watch, this will be my last comment on the first episode. Even when I finished it the first time, I have the same complaint watching it this fifth time. I think that I've seen this now <laughs> as I did then it is 10 minutes too short. I wanted 10 minutes more. Yeah. To like, ugh. but honestly, my complaint about a lot of them. I honestly feel like the reason why it was so short is because they're trying to hit that 25 minute window of just like the original episodes. I, I gonna differ on that one simply because I, we have proof now from the other Marvel shows that come out and they are categorically about five to 10 minutes shorter than a standard show. And they fill that up with a bunch of credits. I, I, I understand that, but it, it, the actual time of it is 30 minutes, um, and, and I actually checked, so I was curious. And so from the time to push play to the time the credits start is, is about 26 minutes, which is pretty close to the actual runtime of the original episode. So, because later on it goes to 23, I'm not going to go into runtimes for sitcoms. <laughs> episode 5, um, on a very special episode. In an early in an 80s slash early 90s setting, Maximoff and Vision struggle to stop Billy and Tommy, which are the twins we talked about earlier, from crying. Agnes offers to help her help look after the boys, but Vision questions her behavior. He and Maximoff interrupted when Billy and Tommy suddenly age up to five years old. When a dog appears in the house out of nowhere, the boys ask to keep in Agnes suggests the name Sparky. Maximoff almost reveals her abilities to Agnes concerning Vision, while the boys age up again to 10 years old. At work, Vision reads an email from S.W.O.R.D. that reveals the situation in Westview. He breaks through a to a real Westview resident and learns that Maximoff is controlling the town. S.W.O.R.D. sends a drone from the 1980s into Westview, which causes Sparky to run off. Haywood orders the drone to be used to kill Maximoff, but she emerges from the barrier with it and warns Haywood to leave her alone. Agnes finds Sparky dead. Vision confronts Maximoff about her actions, but they're interrupted when Pietro arrives. Watching the broadcast, Lewis notes that Pietro has been recast. Now, um, we did some of the, the plot we covered quickly relevant is that um, Agent Wu has been in contact with a new organization known as Sword, which is built in the uh, remnants of Shield as a way to kind of police superheroes after the, the blip, uh, and they're here to investigate uh, Westview. Um, uh, Monica Rambeau, who, who is a captain of S.W.O.R.D. and who is uh, the, the second best Captain Marvel, 
uh, um, and the best photon. Uh, but um, she is here. Uh, she was sucked into the 70s episode uh, and actually became incorporated into the episode before she was uh, ejected back out. Uh, so there's a lot of plot stuff that actually happened in the three that we missed, uh, but they're all kind of snips and, and drips uh, interlaced within the uh, episodes, which of course went through the 60s and 70s, and now we're in the uh, uh, 80s slash 90s. Who is the best Captain Marvel? You said Monica Rambeau is the second best Captain Marvel. Who's the best? Uh, the best, obviously, is uh, um, Shazam. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Since we, we cut the initial part a little short for you, I'm about to do some more right now. Eddie, who's Captain Marvel? Eddie, <laughs> is a sword that's in this the same as a sword in the comics? Is sword in the comics? Um. Uh, so, Sparky? so, so, is Sparky in the comics? Okay, Sparky actually is a nod to the original Vision uh, limited series comic book I talked about. Um, he is a robot dog in that version. Uh, so you thought you had me there, you're wrong. Uh, and Agent Sword, Wu is Agent Wu in the comics? All right. Oh, do not get me started on Agent Wu. Agent Wu is a is an amazing character. Uh, one of the first uh, Asian American heroes in uh, American comics and criminally underused by Marvel. Thank you very much. Yep. Um, Agent Wu is the head of the Agents of Atlas, which is a fantastic group that also does not get enough time in Marvel Comics. We know that you have a thing about like sentient talking chimpanzees or gorillas. <laughs> we, we've we've established that early on. Uh, Agents of Atlas, uh, such a great run. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, Sword is uh, in the comics. Um, it's the actual uh, anti-alien group. Um, this role's kind of, sort of, maybe not really doing that. Um, they're, they're, in this in this version, they're more kind of military X-Files is what they're at. Um, and sadly, uh, also, um, sorry, uh, Lewis is Dr. Lewis, uh, who was a character, was a, originally a doctoral student in the Thor movies. She now has gotten her doctorate and is now part of this group. Uh, as a result of this show, there was a brief... Uh, discussion of having Wu and Lewis as a spinoff show doing kind of just weird X-Files shit in the Marvel Universe and I that wish they would so still do that. Amazing. I would love that because again, Wu is criminally underused. Um, I'm glad though at least that he wasn't he was more than just a punchline from the Ant-Man movies in this show. That was the biggest yeah. thing I was excited about. I think uh, Randall Park is phenomenal and needs yeah. more work. Agreed, agreed. Uh, but uh, um since since she's relevant to this, uh, we did kind of gloss over it. Uh, Monica Rambeau, uh, she was um, the the second Captain Marvel, uh, the first woman to be called Captain Marvel because Ms. Uh, the one we know as Captain Marvel now was originally Ms. Marvel. Uh, she became Captain Marvel after Monica. Uh, Monica Rambeau then changed her name to Photon when there are too many Marvels running around. Uh, but a lot of her powers are uh, light and energy based. Which means that, again, uh, her powers are either completely useless or utterly god-breaking, depending on who's writing it and how, the, how much their knowledge of physics works. Uh, but um, she was a part of the Avengers for a good while. Uh, she actually leader of the Avengers for a minute. Uh, then she uh, was in, um, what was that told? Ultimate Universe. Universe. She was in Ultimate Universe, uh, but she was also in a 12-issue uh, limited series uh, written by Warren Ellis, blanking on the name. Uh, anyway, um, she's been in and out of the Marvel Universe uh, a fair bit. She's getting she's getting 
more popularity again, again, partially because of the show, uh, partially because Marvel's investing more in all the related Marvel, and literally there's going to be a movie called Marvel's where all the characters named Marvel are going to be brought together, which is fantastic. Um, and uh, Monica's, I don't like Monica's subplot here because it's kind of just uh, um, a little too much of stuff going on here. I think uh, uh, I think the show's got a little too many things happening at this moment. But as a character, Monica's fantastic. She she's, she she takes control of the situation. Um, she's strong. She's fearless. She's often right. <laughs> All of the characters are just getting it wrong. She's like, no, here's what's going on. Um, but also, she's connecting to Mon- she's connecting to Wanda in a way that very few of the characters are on a very human level. To the comic book version of Monica, she is criminally underused, a rock star who is unbelievably powerful and mm-hmm. they constantly are writing her out because they don't know how to write her. For instance, yep. when, even when she led the Avengers, she single-handedly took down Zeus and they just had that age her out of being the leader of the Avengers. She mm-hmm. was appointed by Captain America. She first showed up in Spider-Man just as a police detective who undertook missions by herself and got her superpowers. Mm-hmm. And then she joined the greatest superhero team, the team that I think we may have to do a journalist run on the ultimates which was mm-hmm. Blue Marvel. Uh, I think at that point she was Photon, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, T'Challa, and I want to say Miss America, not Miss America, frack, America. Um, America Chavez. Strong. Thank you. She like kicks holes into other dimensions. Yes. And it is a high tier superpower team that solves problems first by thinking them through before kicking your ass. The opposite of almost every other superhero team. Yeah, one of the things that's great about Monica in both versions is that because her powers, on some level of understanding science, she's got to think about how to use them. And when she doesn't, she ends up making problems worse for herself, at least in the comics. Where like if she just blasts something, it usually goes badly. She has a chance to think through and science the problem and then use her powers. It's usually much more effective. And I like when she's written like that. Um, the other thing I love is that she's one of the few black women who generally consistently has been shown with natural hair. And I'm glad that the actor also was able to use her natural hair in this, which is great. Um, uh, so I, 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 little, little touches. I mean, Monica is definitely a very strong, she's a good, she was technically introduced in the Miss Marvel, or sorry, the Captain Marvel movie, but she, her proper introduction is this show. And I think she's a really strong origin story as a result of that. Um, and one last one last tidbit. Yeah. This is a shout back out to our Black Lightning episode. I'm glad that at no point in time was she ever called um, Black Marvel, Black Light, Black yes. Photon. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to our Black Lightning episode. And right. you're saying pertinent to WandaVision and how even in this show, uh, Monica Rambeau is one of the best characters. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no. Um, now I'm just realizing it, it, how close we probably came. I, I suspect it's some draft she probably was in fact called black light because i can absolutely see 1970s marvel writers thinking that was a good thing to do yeah uh um so the actual uh i mean can we you have sing the, the opening theme song for the this 80s 90s for us no but it is very much uh family ties to go back to our homages um this is this is our our, our family ties silver spoons growing pains growing pains era homage and the best part is that i love about this is that the opening theme song almost tells you all the shows it's hit touching on if you know those shows because family mm-hmm. ties do the painting growing pains they do the photos of them aging up through the years 
yep. so succinct. But and also that thing of the the photos aging up through the years. That's definitely a staple of these things, but also a literal thing that happens in the episode. Um, so the idea that the credit sequence is now starting to impact the events of the show. So the surreal nature of the, the, the television conceits are starting to, to break into the plot in a really fantastic way that I love, uh, combined with, I'm going to jump to the end briefly. Um, because if you, if you're not deeply aware of, of all Marvel movies, you may have missed some of the, the references here. The actor who's playing Pietro is different from the actor who played him at the MCU. And to be fair, uh, Lewis does make an explicit call. Hey, they recast Pietro. So the characters are aware that this is not the original, how Pietro looked in the Marvin to you because the actor playing Pietro, and this is actually the person who played Quicksilver in the Sony Marvel or sorry, uh, X-Men films. Um, and it got, I remember spending a, weeks thinking oh is this the multiverse thing they're finally could bring the x movie x-men movies into canon and whatnot and and it doesn't it goes a very different direction than that it, it was just stunt casting but it was a fantastic bit of stunt casting because it got exactly the right reaction out of people but again to go back to the earlier point the conceit of recasting a character is very much the thing that happens in these tv shows but you're not supposed to remark on it and the fact is that everyone's remarking on the fact that, like, Watts doesn't believe it's Pietro because it doesn't look like the Pietro she knows. It takes other characters to prompt her and say, oh, it's Pietro. It's um, uh, Agnes who prompts that it's Pietro. Uh, and then we see, oh, everyone makes the connections. And again, uh, uh, Lewis kind of comments on that. Um, so the, the genres of television are starting to impact the plot of the show. And it's fascinating how it's a... It's a slow build, but now we're episode five, and it's starting to become very clear things are not going right. And also, I mean, there's, there's more explicit tells, like the, the kids aging up, obviously, but also, you know, there, there's um, Wanda starting to lose co cohesion uh, over her, her thing, especially when the, the drone comes in. Um, she explicitly leaves to do that and then go back in. Um, so so we're we're... Blurring the lines within the plot of the show and also as a television show. But you skipped over one of the most phenomenal parts of the entire episode that happens in the opening credits. What's pretty referring to? Baby Vision. And you see Vision growing up through the years. The synthetic man that was built by Ultron growing up. How? Yes. 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 Cannon breaking. The show's terrible. But also, in a way, though, if you, since we've watched it, you would also, that'd be another indicator that the vision that we have here is not the real vision, which we'll find right. out anyway. So, spoiler. Right. Spoiler, not a spoiler. And so that was another, like, I want to keep touching on how well all these are layered because we spend a lot of time talking about shows that don't do this. And I want to make sure yeah. people understand this is how things should be done. Like, yeah. this is amazing and there there are some parts that aren't as great that some of the other shows have done better that are more mm -hmm. superhero superhero based but this is less of a superhero show this is more of a dramedy and they are yep. nailing that at every turn mm -hmm. uh and, and um speaking of, of of uh nailing the the the, the drama and comedy um on, on top of everything else that's happening here, there's also kind of a small tour through computer history that's happening here with 
divisionist job because in the 50s it was using punch cards and tape and now we're in the 80s and we have personal computers um we kind of glossed over uh mainframe era uh in the past couple of episodes but like there's a whole thing about you know what is this this weird email thing and all of the computer gags from the 80s that i actually remember like and and they're doing stuff like where would you put the stamp and whatnot and i'm just like oh my god i remember these terrible early pre-internet jokes they had about computers in these shows um and then in the middle of all of this you get the existential horror of realizing that these people are not manifestations of wanda but they're real people being mind controlled by her and the fact that they're aware of what they're doing and then it goes right back to the, the gags and the and then the audience and then now we're at the canned laughter we're at the the uh, no longer at the live studio audience we have canned laughter and the abrupt nature of how that laughter cuts in um, not only reinforces this no longer live audience but also sells that drama and degree that horror even more effectively by sandwiching it around extremely lame jokes. Coupled with the fact that not only are they way aware but they are in pain. Yes. And they have no idea what happened to their loved ones. Mm-hmm. So you have some people that are together and some people that are separated. Like that's staggering to know all that is happening. And it has been occurring over these multiple days that Wanda has been here. Yep. And then, um, so they get a dog, uh, told about the responsibilities of the dog, dog dies. Um, and uh, it, the show leans into like the title reference on a very special episode, the kind of, this is the point where in the eighties sitcoms are getting kind of a lot of stick about not bringing much cultural value. So they tried to introduce episodes that had a strong moral message of some kind in order to kind of prove that they had value as, as television and therefore things that should be watched. Um, And this was one of those extremely ham fisted, let's cram a moral into the episode style with the the schmaltzy music and the overladen kind of, explain to the kids the you know what what this thing is like and in the course of that conversation it very much becomes a pivot of a discussion of why does vision get to live and my dog not and wanda is starting to realize that these people that are supposed to be in her control are slowly breaking out of that control uh, uh, they're asking the questions that she doesn't want to think about. And she starts to put the brakes on it very, very heavily. Um, so again, the moment of like the, the, the timing of these eras are so fascinating because each era change of sitcom ties to a plot point of the mystery in a way that is just fantastically well-planned. And I would think that it's, not the people aren't in her control. It's it's all Agnes because Agnes is the one that's instigating all these, right? Constantly at every turn, which in of itself as a viewer, if you hadn't already figured out there's something going on with Agnes, it is now there are so many indicators pointing to, towards her without still stating it obviously yet, right? Yeah, um, yes, yeah, right. Because this is also the episode where um, they realized that uh, Agnes is not part of the 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 simulation um uh she actually says hey do i take the line again um as if they're actors so it's like it's not a clear break 
she's playing within the structures that have been established, but it's a different set of structures, which is that we're actors performing a sitcom and Vision and Wanda are not part of that conceit. So we still get the idea that Agnes is wrong. It's very clearly said, but then we're misdirected into what is wrong about her. Uh, so again, just this show does a great job. It's, it's, it's so frustrating on one level because this is a well-structured mystery show that's actually a superhero show. And it's like all the stuff I love about this show is how it does a great job of being a mystery. And that's not the, the that was not the brief it was given. It was like, we want you to be a superhero show. And like, okay, but we want to make a mystery show. And it's like, okay, but you're supposed to make a superhero show? Um, it's, it's a great mystery. It's how- structured really well as a, as a long season long mystery. And coupled with how historically accurate they keep nailing things. Jazzercise, come on. Would, have you thought about Jazzercise mm-hmm. since the 80s or 90s whenever yes. that was a trend? Ever. And to see it like all brought back. No, I have uh, not. No, I have not. And we, we've we've done this in the past. So let's 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 take a moment to to go the the Chris the the uh the crush corner. And this week it's gonna be Chris's crush corner and not Eddie's. I I have I have in, enjoyed Kat Dinning's work since I first saw her in Nick and Nora, and she is still exceptional. And much to my own shame, uh, I will I'll admit that I even watched I want to say six episodes of Two Burke Girls because Kat Dinning was in it. Wow, nice. Yeah, I I admit it. Yeah, she's and there you go. Chris's Crush Corner. Actually, it's Crush Corner, but this week it's Spotlight on Chris. But that's okay. I, I've said it. I feel better <laughs> admitting it. Awesome. Eddie is stunned. Um, I'm looking at him. He doesn't know how to respond to that. No, no. No, I'm I'm stunned because I actually want to talk more about her in the next episode. <laughs> um, uh, but do you have anything else about this episode? Um, just the, fi- the fact that we almost get a fight scene between vision and wanda because once you realize Mm. that wanda has made vision this is another sign that she is grappling more with herself and the vision is more and more her consciousness about what's going on and how she feels bad about what she's doing right um that's actually a good point is um when wanda does something that is outside of the, I'm calling it the simulation, but outside of the hex, outside of her constructed main effect reality, how the special effects are done changes, right? Like if it's inside, like the, the aging up whatnot, uh, that was all done with the technology available in the late eighties, early nineties, because that was, while there was a surprise, still part of her overall structure. When vision threatens her and she goes back, we're into full 2021 CGI. It's a small little thing, but it's so good. And my, my last entire comment is that the casting of Pietro for this is, is straight up. This show has been trolling people yes. for weeks, like yes. the whole time. They, they're trolling you with Mephisto. They're trolling you with Quicksilver. And this is where it builds up. And it's, it's funny for a while, but the response they got at the end of the show's run was probably not what they thought they would get. No. They got a lot they, of a lot of hate. And yeah. that is still impacting the shows to today. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, let's go way into episode seven, uh, Breaking the Fourth Wall. Uh, in a mid to late 2000 setting, Maximoff decides to have a day to herself and Agnes agrees to babysit Tommy and Billy. Maximoff sees various parts of her house constantly changing and is unable to control them. Vision wakes up to find the sword agents inside the boundary are now members of a circus. He releases Lewis from the spell and she tells Vision about his death and the events that led to the current situation. Outside of Westview, uh, Rambo and Wu meet with the royal, loyal sword personnel to obtain a vehicle designed to cross the barrier, but it doesn't work. Uh, so, so Rambo decides to enter herself. She, push, she passes through the static wall through sheer determination and emerges with seemingly heightened vision. Rambo confronts Maximoff, but Agnes tells Rambo to leave and takes Maximoff to her house. Maximoff looks for the boys in the basement and discovers a strange lair. Agnes introduces herself as a witch named Agatha Harkness and reveals she has been disrupting Maximoff's life, including sending an imposter as Pietro and killing Sparky in one of the best musical numbers in a show that is packed full of fantastic musical numbers. That's why it became the number one, I think, iTunes top charper for a couple of weeks. Yes. Now. Um, I, I, I do want to talk about the ending in more detail, but I want to start because we're talking about the context of the show is being watched in. It is so fascinating that this show has steadily been breaking down borders between television and the plot of the Marvel Universe. And we have reached a point by episode seven where the title of a song from the show has broken out of the show itself to spoil the episode for you. Um, and on some level, I think that was just kind of a coincidence, but on some level, it's almost tactical of like, now the fourth law is completely breaking down to where the audience watching the show are going to spoil the episode for you and comment on the key thrust of the show. And it's just, it was just so brilliant at the time. <laughs> and seriously, if you were not around at this point in time in 2021, it, this song was fucking everywhere for like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but um, we have now reached our um, just close to modern day uh, era. Um, so this is uh, uh, The Office. This is My So-Called Life. This is a Modern American Family. Um, this is modern sitcom structure. So we have lots of talking to the camera. Um, we're purely in a one camera setup. Um, there's no laugh track. There's no uh, uh, even pretend audience. Um, this is basically just shot like a drama it's shot on film stock or, sub, or digital tape that looks like film stock so it's the closest we've gotten visually to the mcu as a whole because we're about 10 years from that and uh we see uh, you know wanda's at this point breaking down hence the name of the, the episode breaking the fourth wall and again both both we're breaking the fourth wall of the television show uh and wanda's started to, to break down uh, the wall between her and the rest of the world. And Monica Rambeau is literally breaking the fourth wall as she thrusts herself into the story. It, again, the, 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 di the episode titles are doing fantastic work here too. Let's take a minute to talk about how uh, Elizabeth Olsen is channeling the character of Claire Dumphy from Modern Family for this mm -hmm. entire episode. Like yes. her body movements, everything. And one of the things I didn't touch on in the pilot episode is that the accent she was using at the time is like when they were trying to, I think, do this mid-Atlantic sort yep. of sounding accent for all TV shows. And now it's different. It changes every time, but now it's almost matching the same sort of 
um, beat that Claire's has in Modern Family. And all yep. of her responses are like that. Mm-hmm. Master work of acting. Um, and uh, again, there, there's, well, uh, we've said before that uh, the television conventions are breaking down. That's still happening because at one point in time during the interview segment, we hear the interviewer and uh, one that flat says, you're not supposed to talk. You're supposed to ask me questions. Um, but then also it's literally breaking down because all the stuff is changing around her and it's done with a, a, a signature crackle we've kind of recognized as Wanda's magic. Um, so it's breaking down on multiple fronts now, which again, and again, and as for the, the show, actually, the song actually escaped the show itself on some level. So there's a lot of, of fluidity happening in this episode that on a, just a purely production structural level is, is fantastic and well-paced. And again, of course, also we have vision and, um, uh, his friends trying to break out of the circus while Monica's breaking in. So there's lots of very obvious on the nose references, very subtle references, all happening simultaneously and working in concert in a very strong level. Like one point in time, Vision gets up and leaves the interview, which again is a thing you should not be able to do in these episodes. You know, you're not supposed to leave the confessional. He just says, why am I sitting here talking to you? And then goes to do the thing you should be doing. It's, it's not only that, it's the fact that he doesn't go back to, for some reason, the van that he was riding in with Darcy. He literally realizes, I can fly. I can. Yep. I am not, these impediments cannot stop me. It is against my power set. And goes. Like, yep. little click. And for Monica, how, you, how you're also mentioning, with her walking through the barrier. Uh, sorry, let me digress one minute. This is another moment where they were trolling us for the show. Mm-hmm. In the previous episode, she says, I know an astrophysics physicist that can get me through the barrier. Yep. And instantly there was just all this online. Is it Reed Richards? Are they going to introduce yep. the Fantastic Four? Chris, are they going to introduce Adam Brashear, the blue Marvel? <laughs> nope. Random person that she knows that was friends with her and her mom. Yep. Pissed. Pissed was was I. I'm not going to lie. And the rest of the world. But I didn't get online to complain about it. I was like, I didn't know. I hope. But thank you, Marvel. But when she goes to the right. shield, it shows all these different iterations of her. And if you're listening, you can hear Nick Fury. You can hear Captain Marvel. All the stuff from the Captain Marvel movies as she's making her transition to become a superpowered being. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that I thought was great is that she breaks through the barrier. And um, we actually see that she has uh, – she gets to see energy. Uh, and, and I think it's – honestly, it's one of the more interesting powers that are greatly used in the comics um, that she can – see energy waves, she can hear radio waves. Um, and the fact that they led with that, uh, I thought was great because it, it's one of the less showy of her powers, but it shows that she's going to have a wide variety than just a person that turns into energy and shoots energy beams. Can you think about how hard that power is to write for? Much less to have that power at your gaming table if you're running a superhero game. Oh, sure, totally. But they found a scene to make sure they showcased that. And that, and that, that took an extra point of effort and I'm glad they did it. So then my question for you, would you rather have the Monica ability to do that? Or, you know where I'm going with this. We talked about it a lot. I can't stop myself. <laughs> would you rather have Kyle's ability to do that? Oh, no, I definitely want Monica's. Okay. I, I mean, just uh, because I mean, as great as superheroing clearly is, according to Superman and Lois, um, the ability to, to see energy going through power lines is much more useful. Just Just curious. That, that was uh, it. I, I had no other great point. Yeah. I was just really trolling me. Much like the show, you're trolling me. Well, if I was uh, like the show, I'd have to up my trolling by fifty percent by now. 
Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, uh, so, um, uh, what the, the, the subplot, the actual uh, uh, sitcom plot is that uh, Mommy needs a day off. And so Wanda took the twins over to her house. Uh, Wanda, after being confronted by Rambo, is like, oh, I should go check on the kids. She goes to Agnes's house, see if the kids are gone, although there's TV playing and there's food around. And so Agnes says, maybe they're in the basement. But it's like, that, that should have been a warning. But uh, she goes into the basement and it's obviously creepy occult ship. And uh, Wanda, or Agnes reveals herself in her full glory as, as the other magic user. Uh, as a, do you think you're only a magic user here? And leads into the very Munsters-esque theme song. Which, Can you sing it for us? Uh, no, because I'm not a good singer. But um, seriously, you, just Google. Uh, it was Agatha all along. You'll find a million references to it. Uh, but th- again, it's it's very much another sitcom comedy thing. It's an occult sitcom reference. So now it's they were referencing a, a sitcom about monsters. Uh, and the clips we see of Agatha are him her doing all of the shit in every single episode prior to this. <laughs> But it's the punchline uh, of "and I killed Sparky, killed Sparky too, too" that like nails it, and like that. Before, even if you thought, well, maybe she's not that bad. Well, if you kill a dog, that is in most shows or movies, that is worse than killing a person. You killed a dog; you are the epitome right. of evil. And, and and the way she cackles about it um, is is fantastic. Um, and so that, that I even that's like what... the build up though to her reveal when she takes the kids over. And yeah. they're sitting there, and she's fixed some sandwiches, and one of them turns and says, I like you. And she looks a little concerned, like, why do you like me? Because you're quiet, not like anyone else here. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that is the ultimate amount of creep. I, as a parent, seeing that was like, oh, fuck, I will never let my kid visit any other person on the face of the planet. No, no. And again, a small homage to her time as a babysitter for the Fantastic Four. So there's lots of like little comp references, you know, it's an homage to uh, Billy's eventual uh, ability to read minds. Um, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff happening while also simultaneously, like I said, yeah, playing the final card before the big reveal. Um, I, yeah. I ask you, though, as a as a fellow writer, do you think that was a cue for the audience for the big reveal, do you think, well, let me rephrase it. Actually, do you believe if the show was actually like a real thing, that was the event that forced her to accelerate her plans? Like Billy basically saying, I know that you're not like anyone else here. Yeah. Forced her hand to make her plan happen. Or would she have continued to take the slower approach slowly, like poking around the edges? Um, based on, both what we find out in episodes we didn't cover and also uh, what we see in the re- the song. Um, Vision certainly pushed her to start accelerating her plans, but you're right. I, I, think, I think the twin saying, you know, you're quiet, and then her fumbling around to try to explain, you know, their mommy's not going crazy, um, is her going, okay, I've got to take these kids out of the picture. I've got to push Wanda hard now because if I don't, I, I don't think it was the kids necessarily that was the problem. I think they were a symptom of the larger problem, which is that if I don't push Wanda now, she's going to be too far gone for me to get what I want out of her. 
Uh, so I mean, I I, th I think I think she was close to, m to closing that trap, but I think it was, and, and also obviously Rambo popping through. I think yeah, I, th I think she did have to hastily accelerate her plans on some level. Uh, but it's also uh, what so it's hard to explain how amazing that reveal is because the show never hit it. And the show even delights in telling you both in song and in vis visually, we've been putting this in front of you every single episode. We'd never hid anything from you. But what happened was, it goes back to your point earlier, the show was constantly putting false leads through every single episode. And the Marvel fans were picking up on absolutely everything but the actual plot. And that clearly had been intentional. Um, because my experience was I talked to some people who weren't as involved in Marvel Universe stuff and they were like, oh, it's kind of disappointing. I'm like, why? It's like, because I kind of figured it was Agatha. Because they were watching it as people savvy to television. And the only character that was constant through every single episode was Agatha. Therefore, she was the only viable option. Marvel fans are used to stuff being pulled out from other movies and other contexts being slid in and being the big twist. And so they're looking for all of that stuff, not expecting the one character who was literally in every episode to be the only person who could possibly have done it. Ah, loved it. And it's, it's, it's a good place to kind of start looking into our, our overall discussion because you're right. It, infuriate a lot of people and also the two episodes after this frankly are just an hour of superhero punching and it's it's kind of frustratingly bland ending to what has been an amazing show to this point so that's why i kind of stopped here because like really the show becomes stock marvel at this point i do enjoy the ship of theseus discussion though but it's true i've always liked that talk but it's that's not true. worth watching those episodes for it right and there are some genuinely heartwarming moments where um wanda and vision kind of you know like vision basically says i don't want to live like this anymore um so i mean the show does go into some really great stuff about what it's like to be a person who came back to life or maybe as a terminal person doesn't want to you know be longer there's some i'm not saying they're bad episodes i'm saying is that this was such a groundbreaking fascinating structural mystery and then once the mystery solved it kind of crams a short movie into to wrap things up. And again, a lot of it leads, it leads to a big vision Agatha fight um, because that is what's going to happen at the end of every single one of these. And that's just the structure of these things to the point where in a future show that will be called out. Um, so it, it's, it's frustrating because it felt like it should have done something more innovative with it because the whole show had been that way, but that was never what the show was going to be. Uh, and so we see the arc is that this is the most Marvel of all of them, but it hasn't quite divested itself of the overall WandaVision structure yet. And then it finally does. So to start with something that's completely not the Marvel universe ends with something that completely is. And we took a journey through it. And so in terms of, I find the ending a little weak again, like we said at the very beginning of the first episode, I know why it's there. I can't, I can't be mad at it because Again, this is a superhero show, and it needs to be a superhero show. It's just frustrating that it manages to be a surreal mystery so well that it's almost hard to see the superhero show under it at times. I think it would have been better to have just been the surreal show that was about a story of going through the stages of grief 
without needing the superhero fight. I yeah. think the superhero, the threat of a superhero fight would have been better, but to just follow that grief and how she sort of transitions and learns to deal with it. I am disappointed in the last episode for several different reasons. And since I'm going to give a little bit of spoiler here, but to have someone tell her that it's not her fault for all of this was. Ugh. Yeah. Horrible in my opinion. And that doesn't work because in that, in some senses devalues everything that's happened. The trauma of all the people that have been controlled, no telling who may, who have died over the course of these days. And it's just that Wanda was the only person that was suffering. It was nice that they brought Monica in to parallel a tragic loss of her own. Mm -hmm. So that gave that sort of duality between how people can cope and people deal with these things. Right. Um, And and honestly, what Monica does, uh, the the comparisons are what happens when um, someone who does not have a support network is trying to grieve versus someone who does. Uh, Monica had people that she could work through her grief with uh, and ultimately comes out a stronger person as a result of it. Uh, Wanda didn't. Um, granted, it wasn't a great support network, but you know Monica was still surrounded by people. She had friends and family around. Uh, she had her job to, to keep her together. Um, Wanda literally cut herself off from absolutely everything and everyone, including reality itself. And processed her grief very badly. I'm, I am not sure who Monica's support structure was. They and do imply for the job thing that mm-hmm. is actually considered it construes more as a negative. Like she was the first person, literally the first person to go back to work after the snap. Within weeks of the snap, going back to work, having lost five years of your life, the your mother who was like your support structure. And then to be put in a more menial role than what you originally were in. I guess what I'm saying is that while I recognize that those are bad coping mechanisms, they're still coping mechanisms. Um, whereas M- Wanda did the supernatural equivalent of curling up in the bed and binge watching box sets of DVDs for weeks at a time. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean... It, but, 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 but you're right. I mean, the, ultimately, the, the point is that um, this, is, this is a surreal mystery about grief and not letting go of people who have passed away. And the fact that they have a GM superhero fight in the end of it undercuts it. But yeah. again, we're talking about superhero shows, right? We can't ignore the form. And that's the form. Uh, so... We're, the reason why I'm glad we're starting with this on some level is that it's a show that did so many things right, and we've often given these shows a lot of stick about not doing things right. It does do things right, and it tries to do what we expect the Super Show to do, and now we're going to give it some criticism because it's like, that's not what we wanted because you serve us a different show than we were expecting, grew to love that show, and now we're back to the show that we expected, and we don't want that show anymore. You did your job too well. That's <laughs> really what happened here. Do worse, is what I'm saying. I do want to take a minute, since this is the, the top of the show, and the snap is going to be something that occurs in at least one or two more episodes that we talk about. Sure. And for people, if for some reason you haven't watched the movies and you came to this podcast, I would first question why. But secondly, mm-hmm. thank you that you like us so much that you listen to this. Yeah, seriously. But the snap, which effectively removed half the population from the universe. 
mm-hmm. and then it was undone about five years later and put all those people back in the places they were when they were snapped out of existence. Mm-hmm. It's one to comment about all the people that have also now been killed post snap for like all those people that might've been in a plane. The plane's no longer there. All those people that were in a sub, the aliens in space in their spaceships. Like that is another instance of just how much death is constantly occurring in the MCU that is not thought about while we're making a bunch of jokes about it. And that is, as I I was walking, thinking about the podcast this morning, I was walking the dog, like this is something that was coming back to me and it's not really touched on very much. Even Falcon Little Soldier will vaguely hint at it being a little difficult, but all those deaths aren't accounted for or taken into account for most of the stories. Right. Um, And and, and that's, I think it's a good way to kind of wrap this up because ultimately... WandaVision is a show, much like all the Marvel Universe stuff, that's kind of afraid of looking into consequences. While everything connects to each other, it doesn't really want to disrupt the status quo that much. It doesn't want to change things that much. And this was a show, and like you said, it's like uh, the show ultimately apologizes and absolves Wanda for doing all of this, which again is hilarious because then the movie that she comes in after this, she turns evil because of the events of the show. So you could have just cut that part out and it would have made a much better transition, frankly. <laughs> the the writers and directors of that movie admit it to never having seen WandaVision when they did their thing. Well, so this show had no relevance at all to what they did. Uh, that's even worse, actually. But, um, but, but to the point, it's like, if this was a property that was willing to engage on those consequences. On one level, you'd have stronger character arcs, you'd have stronger world building, you'd have a stronger uh, uh, connective, a feeling of reality that things can actually mean something. On the other hand, too much of that, you get into the boys, you get into um, you know, Jupiter's legacy of, of everything's ultimately going to go to shit because that is the logical consequence of these horrible events. Um, and also even though I've already said, and I will continue to say that these things are not good about being friendly to people who are just jumping on, WandaVision is probably the most friendly to that. And so that means on some level, the MCU can't go too far away from the real world that we have. Uh, so it's, it's, it's always going to be walking this tightrope and it's going to fall on different sides of it. Um, because... <laughs> Admittedly, when this show was first being written, we had not had a world where having several years of our lives taken away from us and large people missing after the end of it was an implausible concept. And now we're in a world where COVID happens, and that's a very real thing that we're all connecting with. So I feel like maybe we could spend more time digging into the snap, and whether future shows will or not, we'll see. Um, but it's it's a pre-2020 Marvel Universe can't really go too far away. And so it's... This is a maddening show on some level because it, it shows that there are genuine potential for innovation inside this model, but it's going to always be dragged back to the center. Yeah, but one of the things about Mar- the Marvel Universe, even from the comic perspective, that differentiate, ah, differentiate it from DC is that Marvel is always known to be the more grounded superheroes. That is what its bread and butter always has been. And right. we're at the point with MCU now is they seem afraid to take that step to do that. They want to like keep skating close to it and not doing it. DC has always been, 
far removed from the the common people is what their heroes are fit. Yep. And I don't think that it needs to go to the extent of the boys or Jupiter's legacy, but a, if you're known for keeping more realistic approaches to your characters and everything else, they should take that extra 20% move that they need to do to do that. Yep. I agree. Uh, so, um, I think we kind of tipped our hands a little bit, but, uh, what are we going to talk about next week? Oh, we're going to talk about Peacemaker season two. Sweet. Yes. <laughs> it's not out yet, but I'm already excited about it. Eddie and I are going to write it live on the air. Um, <laughs> instead, we're going to do the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Season one, episode one, New World Order. Season one, episode four, the whole world is watching and cap it off with uh, season one, episode six, one world, one people. Awesome. And if people want to talk to you about uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier or your favorite sitcom, where would they find you online? On Twitter at Dark underscore Hugh or in the Darker Hugh Discord, where I think I'm going to post some random gifts of something today just to see if Eddie knows what they are. Oh, so it, it's Friday, right? Nothing unusual there. Yeah. Uh, you can find me online as Pugsteady, as P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. My website is Pugsteady.com. You can find me on Twitter as Pugsteady. You can find me at Dice.Camp as Pugsteady. You can find me on the Darker Hue Discord being trolled by Chris relentlessly, just like this show WandaVision did to all of its viewers back in 2021. And with that, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate your patronage. Really appreciate you helping out. If you want to be more of a patron, check out the Darker Hue Patreon. But we don't have time to talk about that because we're running along on time. So with that, we'll see you next week with the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Take care. Goodbye. Be seeing you.